Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. That's the day the Lord set apart for us to worship Him. And every time that we approach God, we need to remember that He's holy, just, and righteousness. And we are still in this corrupt body. So that's the appropriate time for us to to confess. And, and here's a call for us to confess our sins from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 23, which says, An unloved woman when gets a husband and a maidservant when she displays her mistress. So we are here speaking about the third thing that um, the, the earth trembles. The earth is not pleasable. Our unloved woman when gets a husband. And I was studying this passage here this unloved woman here and can be also uh, interpreted as a, a hated woman does not seem to be the one who is odious or worthy of hate or a woman who already married and has been neglected by her husband. But a woman who was waiting so long to get married, to find a husband, to love her. A woman who had thought, perhaps thought that anyone you'd, you'd even uh, be able to love her. And now when she finally, finally obtains a husband after waiting so long, she acts... Uh, in, a, in a harshly way with her sisters and with those who are still single. And it seems that the, the, the author here is, is having in his mind Genesis chapter 29, verse 30 and 33, which... Um, tells about Leah and Rachel, and you know the story on um, how Rachel and Leah struggle all the way to, to understand the love from Jacob. And then there is a, a, another situation here, a maid servant when she displays her mistress. It is the same case here. When she became her, uh, when she became here, uh, a favor from her husband, she takes place of a perhaps an old woman, and she becomes her husband' uh, favorite here. Pretty much based again in Genesis 16 with Hagar and Sarah's who after conceiving a son to Abraham, Hagar looked with contempt on Sarah. So what is the point here in this passage? The point is being ungrateful. You know, we receive the love from God in such amazing way. We receive uh, God's forgiveness. We can say even His forgiveness to us but then when it's time for us to apply this love, when it's time for us to, to show this love, to show His forgiveness, we hold back and, and we sin against God by not treating our brothers and sisters, by not treating those who are in need in the way that God loved us. And that reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So please kneel, kneel where you are we're able and willing to, and let's, uh, let's confess our sins to God. 
turn to our uh, passage for today from the book of James, chapter 2. The book of James, uh, most, most commentators agree that he is the, uh, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, writing to Jewish believers. And you can see that by uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the way that James called those believers here as uh, the 12 tribes in the dispersa dispersation. Verse 1 in chapter 1. And we, which can be interpreted in light of Acts chapter 8, verse 1, when the Jewish people uh, uh, um, freed from Jerusalem because of the persecution after Stephen's death. Uh, so we know that it seems that the recipients of this letter here are Jewish believers here. Even the place that they, they gather together in chapter 2, verse 2, in, in Greek is synagogue. So most probably it, it's a, a Jewish audience here. And the background for us before we jump into our passage, the background from the text here, chapter 2, seems to be a misunderstanding that has developed in the church, which is faith is all that matters. It's all that counts here. People don't care about the way they are living their faith. They, are, they don't care about the law, the, the, the work that they should perform in light of their faith. And it, just be fair, we struggle as well. We sometimes uh, uh, think that just our faith is enough. And it is enough. That's why we're going to see here in this passage attention uh, in what James states here. So the church is struggling with this kind of understanding. How should our faith be related to our works? So James is pressing these Jewish believers to transcend formalistic Judaism in practice as they had already transcended um, their understanding in belief. They had all that except Jesus as the Messiah. Now they need to walk like Jesus' disciple, like one of his disciples, and not like um, the disciple of the Pharisees. And in chapter 2, we're going to read now for uh, verse 14 to 26, is the climax of John's, uh, sorry, James' correction to this misunderstanding, which fits pretty well from the preceding uh, verses here, uh, verses 1 to 13, as a response to, to, to those verses here, 1 to 13. So, verse 14 to 26, James is responding to verses 1 to 13. And as we will see, James uses two polemical illustrations to condemn both the contempt, the contempt for the poor, which we can see from verse 1 to 13, and the pride of those who seek to maintain and justify their ungodly behavior, the lack of work, the lack of good work, by insisting that faith alone is all that matters here. So that's the correction that James wants to bring here. That's his goal, his purpose here. So let's go to our text, chapter 2, verses 14. 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show my faith by my works. You believe that God, God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown? Show, you foolish person, that faith apart from work is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along 
with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scriptures was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? As for the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for having your word before us. It's a, just a privilege for us to have a place to worship, your word to read, and your Holy Spirit to help us to understand. So please be with us, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, it's not a new thing if I say that I, I love evangelism. You know? it, it, it's just something I cannot live without it. It's just like I had to do it. And one day, I was giving a training to a church, and we went out with a couple of people. And I have this guy here, very spiritual, very, uh, um, yeah, claiming himself to be very spiritual. And we went out, and we had some tracks uh, with the gospel, some gospel message hanging to the people. And he approached a man without making any question to that guy. And I always say, you got to know the person before preaching the gospel. But anyway, he stopped this guy and he gave his track with the gospel message. And he said to guys, hey, here's the God's word for you and uh, read it and, and God is going to speak to you. And the guy said to him, oh, but I, I, I don't know how to read. Uh, don't worry, get, get the track, go home and God, God's going to speak to you. But I don't know how to read. I, I mean, I don't know. Don't worry, God's going to help you. And suddenly someone came to him, hey, stop, man. You don't, you don't understand. He doesn't know how to read. So he left the track, the guy, and he walked away. How insensible was that person, very spiritual, to, to not understand that he was supposed to read the track instead of just giving the track for someone who doesn't who, who know how to read it. And he didn't care about the need of that man. And he had the opportunity to read himself the gospel message and to explain. But anyway, and that's the point here. Sometimes we become numb to the need of other people here. And you're going to notice, uh, uh, you may ought to notice in this passage, this passage contains declaration that ha have given reason to endless debates in the church, precisely because of the apparent antagonism, conflict between the teaching of Paul and the teaching of James regarding the way of justification. And the reason why, for some, even say, James writes in opposition to Paul's view in, on justification. Because of this conflict here, because of what James says here in this passage, a lot of people say, well, here's a problem in Scripture. They are disagreeing with each other when, when it comes to justification. As we know from Romans, for instance, chapter 4, verse 1 to 5, Paul says that Abraham was justified by faith, not by work. Galatians, chapter 3, is another example. Paul says in verses 6 to 9, Abraham was counted righteousness for believing in God, not by his work. So we had a, a problem here. So today, as we consider these texts, here are a few questions we will be looking to. Is James saying that we Christians will be saved by works? Is that the point here? Is James is speaking about works as Paul does in refusing our works when it comes to our justification? 
Is James' understanding about true faith different from Paul's? Is James' view on justification different, contradicting Paul's view on justification? And the final question to help us to work through this text, could that be that James and Paul were addressing different problems and so taking different observation on justification? As you can see, the main words for us here today is faith, work, and justification. And see how those principles here ties to our need to better uh, uh, observe and be sensible to the need of others. So I hope at the end you can see that the saving faith in Christ is also a fruitful faith. That's the way you, you can judge even yourself. And you should judge yourself. Am I being fruitful? since I'm claiming himself to be saved by Christ. So before jumping in the, in, the, in the fruitful, saving faith, let's look to the tragedy of a dead faith. Let's first see the nature of dead faith here. Verse 14. What, is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So right here in his opening statement, James intentionally inserts his first two questions to introduce the main theme of this section here, which is a dead faith just produces nothing. It's useless. So first notice that James does not say that this person here has faith at all. That's not the point. Readily, hypothetically, James states a question of a person who claims to have genuine faith and who is boasting of it to others. In my opinion, boasting is not a problem because the other person will boast about having faith and having works. So I don't think that boasting is the problem here. The problem here is when you try to boast of something that you are not, of something that you do not have. So what's happened when we do that? When we boast of something that we are not, we boast about something that we don't have. We get exposed, isn't it? So that's the, the result of a dead faith we're going to see here. Verse 15 to 16, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? So James introduced an example of a, simp a simple analogy to describe the tragic result of a dead faith, which is a dead faith always results in an insensible, numb heart to the needs for to the need of others. And see that in his illustration here, James intentionally described the states of these poor people as brothers and sisters, which is even more problematic. So the idea is to bring out more strongly the obligation of those people who claim to be believers to help these brothers and sisters as their moral covenant obligation duties. They were obligated to do that, but they were not doing. They were not doing, and James is exposing a such shameful, ungodly behavior for someone who, who is claiming themselves to be Christians. 
And the intensity of the necessity of these brothers and sisters even increased based on the Greek meaning of the word gymnos, poorly closed, which probably was understood as hyperbole, as an exaggeration, as a person being naked without clothes at all. And not just naked, you see here, but in need for daily food. Daily is very important here to to increase the problem with those people because it's not a person that is just in need one day or two days in a week. But that person here is in a need, daily need. And those people are just watching them every day, begging for food, begging for clothes, and they were doing nothing. And they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was so glad when we opened the confession of faith in light of Proverbs. Because that's what's happening here. We receive from God everything. His love, His providence. And sometimes we are not acting in light of those goodness that comes from God to us. Which means that we are not acknowledging nothing. We are taking from granted. We are taking from granted here. And also notice in verse 16. If you have your Bible, your cell phone. Today I'm going to ask you to look um, all the way to scriptures here. Verse 16. That faith does not go beyond a mere good devices. You see that? Just good counsels that could look like you saying to a person, please do not worry too much. All that you need is some clothes and some food and then you'll be, you, you feel well. Or you could say, hey man, warm yourself and close yourself and feed yourself, but you don't do nothing here. You don't understand the needs. But there is nothing, nothing wrong in giving advices. But the problem is, when God wants to use us as a source of our counsels, that's the problem. I had said before many, many uh, uh, preaching sermons ago, the problem is not praying uh, uh, for someone. The problem is that when God wants to use us as a source as a provision for our own prayers. It's pretty simple to give good advice, but it's very hard to become the solution, the source, the, God's providence for those advice here. So those people here, they, they, they want to see themselves wise, you know, by giving good advice, but they don't want to be part of the solution. They don't want to be part of God's providence. Blessing to those people's ears. The question then is, how should I measure my obligation to others? That's the question that James wants us to do today. How? How should I measure my obligation? Do I have any obligation to others? If so, how should I measure it? It's pretty clear that our obligation, brothers and sisters here, to others is related to their needs. To their needs. Whether... Whether a physical, material needs, emotional, crying to those who are crying. We could apply those uh, um, obligations in so many areas. So back to one, to one of our questions from the beginning. Is James speaking about works as Paul does in refusing works when it comes to our justification? James is calling people to the good works here. So what kind of works is James is speaking here to not put Paul and James in conflict here? The answer to this question is found on the example that James gives on verses 15 to 16. If you have your Bible, you can see that in verse 20 here, which shows that the works being considered here are not those of ritual laws which Paul was opposing 
when it comes to justification. So they are talking about different works here. Paul was talking about the works that comes from the ritual laws. And James is talking about a works, a mercy, work here. So James' concept on work is not related to any attempt to subvert God's gracious initiative by making works meritorious for salvation. That is not what James is saying here. Rather, James speaks of works as an active life of practical morality, such as God's command us to love one another. That's the work James is talking about. So there is no conflict between Paul and James when it comes to the work. They're talking about different things here. So what is the implication of a dead faith here? Verse 17. So faith by itself, if it does not have work, is dead. That's the implication. Now notice that the two things here which are opposed are not faith and works. As with Paul. But a living faith and a dead faith. So again, James is introducing the main theme here. Faith without work by itself or in itself is dead. That's the implication. And the implication goes on by saying faith without works proves to be inwardly dead. Not merely hindered from activity, but inwardly defective in its own power to act, in its own life to respond to God's word. Death. That's the implication here. Death. And also notice that works here are not um, added extra thing any more than breath is an added extra to a living body here. As James will conclude in verse 26, and here he's just anticipating faith without works by itself or in itself is no more a living faith than a corpse without breath is a living person. So the implication is increasing now. And see that now James is going to take the implication to an, to an eschatological point. There is a eschatological implication here. That is, faith that produces no work is dead. Just as dead is anyone who does not have a living faith. That's why James introduced this dialogue between a believer who demonstrates works by his living faith and a hypocrite who might be boasting of his orthodox beliefs by which proves nothing. By which proves nothing at which reality and give no eschatological hope. No eschatological hope at all. And you can see in verse 19 at some extent even the demons have orthodox beliefs. Even the demons believe without a saving faith. And yet, as you know, they will not escape God's judgment. And it is interesting how James really goes deep in his confrontation by mentioning the Jewish creed. Shema, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's very serious for us. In other words, to believe that God is one might make even the demons quite orthodox, but not orthoprax. They're not living in light of the truth. That's why the question in verse 15, it's a strong question, isn't it? Can this kind of faith save you? 
can this kind of faith save the demons? If this kind of faith cannot save the demons, brothers and sisters, this kind of faith cannot save you at all. That's the point James is doing here. Don't boast that you know the creeds. Don't boast that you know the Westminster Confession. No, 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 no. You had to know. But you had to believe. You had to believe. You have to trust. So another question from the beginning. Is James' understanding about true faith different from Paul's understanding about faith? Are they talking about different things here when it comes to faith? As I mentioned before, in James' concept, true faith is a moral, practical response to God's word. For instance, chapter 2, verse 22, James says, Brothers, be doers of the word, and not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. It's a moral implication here. But of course, James' understands of true faith also includes a belief in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1. And also includes, which is even better here, a trust in God. Chapter 1, verse 6. James says, But let him ask in faith, not with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the seas that is driven tossed by the winds. So this kind of faith James is talking about here is different from what the demons exercise in verse 19. And why am I saying that? It's because of, instead of saying that the demon trusts God, he could use the Greek word for trust. James is using only the Greek word. They just believe that God exists. It's different. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to trust in God. To believe is just a mere intellectual acceptance of the truth. That just stop here in your mind. Doesn't go deep in your heart. Doesn't affect your moral life, your daily life. And James concludes to his opponents in verse 20. For James, faith and works are inseparable in a saved person's life. Faith expresses itself by works. And a faith that saves, it's not alone. Now, is Paul understanding of faith different from James? The answer is yes and no. No, Paul's concept is not different from James in its content because he also includes moral aspects of faith. Go with me with Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians chapter 2. You can see right in the beginning... Chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespass and sins, moral implication, in, in which you once walked, following the course of this water, for the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now at work in the son of the disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of your flesh, moral implications here. So yes. Not just no, they speak about the content in a moral sense, but yes as well. Paul's concept is different from James in its observation. Precisely because of his, Paul's history in religion. He was a Jewish man, a, a doctor of the Mosaic law. And precisely because of his context here. So Paul has a primarily forensic observation of the faith. That is, the practice of faith consisting in responding to God's grace in believing that Christ atoned for our sins. It's a legal observation of faith in accepting what Christ did for us. And the reason why Paul emphasized this legal aspect of faith is because he wants to fight against the Judaizers. And they understand that the Mosaic law was to be 
combined with God's grace for salvation, for justification. So he's fighting against this demanding that the Gentiles should keep the Mosaic law in order to be saved. That's why he has another perspective from James when it comes to faith. So now after seeing the tragic of a dead faith, we move to the fruitfulness of a saving faith here from verse 21 to 26. And to illustrate, to illustrate a saving and fruitful faith, in the following verse, James introduced two Old Testament persons here. The first one, Abraham's obedience to God, willing to offer his son, Isaac, Genesis chapter 22, and a woman, not just a mere woman, very interesting woman, Rahab, the prostitute. And James wants us, us to be sure that we know her. It's a prostitute. She was a prostitute who was considered righteous for what she did. Joshua chapter 2. But the question is, why James gives us those two extreme examples? Abraham, an insider, and Rahab, an outsider regarding to God's covenants. Why Abraham, first of all? Of course, Abraham is the father of our faith. He was the greatest example. So let's start with Abraham. With Abraham, James wants to show us that a living, saving faith manifests itself in obedience to God's word. But what exactly Abraham believed by obeying God's command to sacrifice his son? The answer is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. Abraham, listen to that. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise his son from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did. God did it. Sorry, Abraham did receive his son back. That is what Abraham believed. Abraham believed in the resurrection. He trusts in God, in God's power, in justice, and righteousness to raise his son. So James wants to correct his readers, those Jewish believers, regarding their interpretation about Abraham's faith. Especially in light of Genesis 15, 6. Because those believers here, those, those Jewish believe, believers here, they used to emphasize Abraham's turning from idolatry only to worship the one God. That was the point here. Faith is only regarding to turn away from idolatry and believing in one God. But James says, even the demons believe that God is one. So what? So what? So James saying here that a living, saving faith go much further than mere intellectual understanding or acceptance of God being one. In Abraham obedience, there was an inseparable and mutual relationship between faith and works. And works here representing his obedience to God's word. You may now wonder whether faith or work is the ultimate goal in James' confrontation here. What is the purpose here in James? To emphasize faith or work? If you have to choose one, verse 22, you see that faith was active along his works. But of course, verse 22 doesn't stop there. This is not a whole verse. So what I, what I want to say here is that if James had stopped here, we could conclude that the main factor in reaching the goal is work. But he goes further. He moves on saying that Abraham's faith was completed by his works. Therefore, emphasize that the goal is not so much work as 
it is faith itself. That's the point here. Because at the end, he wants to offer an eschatological hope which is based on faith first and foremost. Abraham's faith was perfected, meaning Abraham's faith was brought into maturity through his work and not otherwise, indicating that the unfinished state of his faith prior to his work. He was missing something. His faith was not perfect, was not complete. And that's to say, faith assists works, and works perfect faith. Or we can say, faith produces works, and works complete faith. Or we can say, faith is the source of works. Abraham's faith sustained his works by enabling him to produce works. Now, a good question that most commentators put for us here. But in what case can it be said that works complete faith? In, in what case? Is, is faith, in James' view, a quality that is incomplete until action follow from it? Of course not. That's not the point here. How can we understand here how faith complete works without saying that faith is not incomplete without works? Perhaps the closest parallel example to James' statement here to help us to answering uh, this question is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. John says, if, if you love one another, listen to that, if you love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Clearly, our love does not complete God's love. You see that? Our love for one another does not complete God's love. In the sense that the love of God is inadequate or faulty without our response. It's rather that God's love comes to expression, reach its intended goal when we respond to His grace with love towards others. That's the point here. So, Abraham's faith, James is saying here, reached its intended goal when he did what God was asking him to do. His faith was completed, but was not faulty before his words. So, what is the fruit what is the fruit of a saving faith? We continue verse 22 and he says, And Abraham was called a friend of God. That's the fruit. Eschatological hope. Salvation. Which is just another way James found to say that God justified Abraham calling him his friends. What about the, to finish here, what about the other three questions in light of verse 24? We still have three questions. Verse 24, you see that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's a tension here, isn't it? Between Paul's view of works, justification, and James. So those questions that we start today is, is James saying that Christians, that Christians will be saved by good works? Is James' view of justification opposing Paul's view? Could that be that James and Paul were addressing different problems and thus taking different observations of faith? See here that James' declaration seems to diverge from Paul's. But before I make any conclusion, we need to approach both James and Paul in their original context, as I said before. Not just in the context, as I said, but on their specific purpose. We know that although Paul and James use the same Greek word, justify, dikaio, they exercise it in different sense. Paul uses dikaio as a declaration of righteousness, and James used this Greek word as a demonstration of righteousness. 
In other words, for James, a saving faith produced works which proves our justification before whom? God? No, before man. That's the point here. But Paul also agreed with James when it comes to our good works as an organic product of our faith. Remember Ephesians 2, he says in the, in the end here that God made us, gave his faith by grace to have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own. And this could be salvation and faith together here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So Paul also agreed with James that our good works is visible, is visible. So in verse 24, James sums up his statement affirming that a person is justified by faith, but not faith alone. But not faith alone. Not faith alone. Now what about Rahab? Why James introduced Rahab here? <laughs> Why? Verse 25, in the same way, so was not uh, uh, also Rahab the prostitute justified by work when she received the messenger and sent them out by another way. So here's the reason why James is, is, is using another extreme, an outsider. James is saying that even the lowest faith must produce fruits, must produce work, must produce good works. James shows that through a pagan lady that her conduct is another proof that she was justified by what she did. She protects God's people, the spies. She believed in God and she demonstrated her faith by keep them safe. And by doing so, she put herself at the risk. And just to present, prevent here a misunderstanding, note that James does not give approval for Rahab formal life. That's not the point, but rather James is commanding her living, saving faith. Consider it against the background of her previous immorality. That's the point here. Another reason for James to use Rahab example is because the hypocrites might be excusing their behavior in comparing themselves to Abraham. Abraham is too much. We cannot get there. So James is saying here, well, if you cannot, if you cannot act like Abraham, the father of faith, at least see this woman here. At least follow this pagan lazy one. So, in conclusion, are James and Paul disagreeing and opposing each other? Not at all. Paul and James just, just move in dif different matters, in different cycles of thoughts. So any attempt to, to try to combine one cycle on the other in order to determine their arguments or disagreements is it's, it's futile. Paul and James' intention by taking different observations in these matters because Paul wants to correct legalism and James wants to correct the error of antinomianism. In other words, law, good work, doesn't matter. And I hope that we can understand today that there is implication if you are not living out the gospel in light of the good works that God commanded and prepared for us to live. May His grace, may His, His Spirit convince us and empower us to live out the good work. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Christ's good work, which is enough, sufficient to save us, but which also empower us through your spirit to live out the same good works, to be sensible to the need of others around us, emotional needs for those who are crying, for those who are mourning, for those who are struggling, or physical needs for those who are lacking some material things. Help us to be sensible, O oh Lord, and forgive us to be numb to this reality around us whether inside the church, whether our neighbors, our fellow works. Oh Lord, help us to live out these gifts that you gave us, the saving, living, fruitful faith that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray, oh Lord, as you taught us to pray.
desires that we be near Him. Near to God is where we find rest. We read in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Near to God is where we find nourishment. In John 6, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Near to God is where we can find our security. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And near to God is where we can find peace, peace with him. Again in John, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In the garden, Adam and Eve had sinned, and they'd gone away from God, so he went to be near them. Sin drives us away from God, but we have been brought near, even to the Holy of Holies, through the shed blood of Jesus. This nearness is the peace of knowing God as a Father, Jesus as a Savior, and the Holy Spirit as our Comforter. We are his people, and he is our good and kind Father. There's no better place than near to a loving Father in heaven to come. So come, come in Jesus' name. Come to the table where our worship culminates. Come where he offers rest, nourishment, security, and peace in him. And at this table, all are invited who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine together, we are acknowledging that we are sinners and without hope, except for the sovereign mercy of God. And we're trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.